always wanted to know who the best player was on tour simply because I wanted to actually work as hard. And then I ran into a, a little guy by the name of George Knudsen out of Canada. And I watched him hit the golf ball. I watched him with the white stand, making the club back way inside, releasing the club. One of the greatest ball strikers I'd ever seen. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the McKellar Golf Podcast. My name is Lawrence Donegan and before I introduce you to my co-host, uh, I need to do a bit of selling as per usual. Uh, McKellar Magazine issue number eight is currently in the works. It's a, it's a beauty, um, I think. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but number seven, uh, six, five, four and three are all still out there um, and available for purchase at McKellarMagazine.com. A friend of mine, uh, Mr. David Begg, the former esteemed PR man for the Open Championship, uh, posted a photograph this week. He's lucky enough, Jeff, to have all seven uh, issues, and he laid them all out, and what a beautiful-looking collection. Uh, unfortunately, issues one and two are completely sold out, collector's items, I believe, mm. but you can get the rest at mckellarmagazine.com. Com. Uh, please do that. If you buy some magazines, you're supporting great golf writing, and that's what McKellar is all about. My co-host, Jeff Shackelford. Jeff, uh, before uh, before you speak, uh, Jeff is the um, author of the phenomenal uh, newsletter, The Quadrilateral. I go on about it most weeks. It's really a bumper edition. Uh, now, for when I'm doing the lineup, Jeff, when I'm doing the lineup for this podcast, the news lineup, I just read The Quadrilateral, and I've got my five or six topics. It's uh, essential reading uh on Substack, the quadrilateral. Uh, do yourself a favor and subscribe. Jeff, how are you, pal? I'm doing great. How are you? I guess we'll just start the uh, Asia uh, Pacific Amateur. I won in thrilling fashion by Jasper Stubbs, 21 year old Australian kid who won on, was it, it was the second extra hole, I think. Uh, he did. He beat yes. off Wengy, 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 oh God, Wengy Ding. Who former U.S. Junior Am winner? I think he's at I think he's at Arizona State now. Um, yes. uh, anyway, uh, uh, it was a three-way playoff. Uh, Stubbs, uh, Ding, and Zheng, the kid from Cal, Samson Zheng. Uh, who, by the way, I mean, I know he he didn't ultimately he didn't prevail, but my goodness, that's sixty-five. I don't know how yeah. much I watched it every night, Jeff. Uh, sixty-five he saw shot in the third round was just outrageous. That kid. <laughs> Did anybody come up with a strokes game number on it? Because it's got to be one of those unbelievable type of yeah. Only one other person under round, and I forgot the number now. But only a handful were under seventy five. What was it, seventeen or something? Yeah. Anyway, just an yeah, unbelievable. And Jeff actually talked about that on the show. I think he he was playing in Victoria that day on Saturday, and I guess the wind was. It was just it was just a weird wind direction, and the uh, the one that makes the, the the composite play really really tough, and yeah, and and we know it's just so hard to come back from rounds like that uh, and play decently. And he held it together until the very end, and those other two guys just played beautifully to get to to force the playoff. Yeah, and saying I, I mean some of the shots, he looks like a proper player, and the golf course allowed him to show. Yeah. You know what he's got. I mean, it really, uh, it was it was wonderful. D D Ding, I, I, he strikes me as one of just a kind of archetypal a modern golfer, big and strong. Uh, but he's got a beautiful swing. And Stubbs, my goodness, the, the putt, you know, the, the putt to uh, oh. I thought he was going to win it. Uh, and it, yeah, on the first extra hole, my goodness, what a putt that was. Um, just a thrilling event, brilliant. Uh, what it made me think, I'm watching it, Jeff, and I want you to speak to this, is... I don't understand why they don't get it at the professional level. But 
If the golf course is a star, people want to watch. Yeah. I mean, I was glued to the TV for four successive nights. Uh, and when I, you know, when I fell asleep, I would get up the next day and what and what just to 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 watch Royal Melbourne. A because it's a great, I mean, it's a great stage. But the questions that was uh, asks the players, you know, it separates it separates out the guys who can do it and they, you know, yeah. as opposed to the guys who can't. It really did, and the firmness of the greens by by uh, oh. the final round uh, truly exposed uh, just the slightest little miss hit, and it was spectacular to see what those guys did. That I mean, I, I agree with you that Ding seems kind of like a, a modern player, but to do what he did uh, on that course tells you he's got something else going on. And and Ogilvy noted that many times. You know, the education they got on that course will prepare them for anything they'll ever face the rest of their life in in terms of championship golf the firmness the i don't think the greens were as pure as they normally are i don't know if you've noticed they had a little bit of a i think they had a little bit of a an issue this spring or, or over the winter i don't want to talk at a school but i think there's a yeah i think there's been a slight issue with the greens at uh, Royal melbourne for you know best part of a year now, i believe they're fine but but if you did see some some low camera shots, the balls as they slowed down started to take some some bumps and bruises and turns and but nothing nothing horrendous. Just uh, so anyway, it it just presented everything possible. But to your question, I would I would argue we the game has made tremendous progress on recognizing the value of the stage as much as the players. I mean, just the tour. Look what the PGA Tour's done in the last five or six years of, of uh, maybe even eight years really trying to go to uh, venues that are, that are have some tradition and history and all that stuff. And it's not easy uh, as far as the ball goes to find a place that can check off all the boxes and, and make us happy architecturally as well. And even when they do look at, look at all the uh, look how easily people can judge. I mean, look at LA North this year, crowds weren't very close to the action and people somehow you know some people did blame the golf course design for that which was a little weird to me but that's 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 how it is these things all all the little elements that come together have to come together perfectly uh but as you you know i mean royal melbourne's on another level uh, it's got the, the great short par fours it's just got everything and this composite course seemed better than the one they use in the president's cup uh i thought i know why they do the president's cup one the way they do and i think that's probably the right logic in terms of match plays kind of saving the two <laughs> uh two of the least interesting holes for the end because they're less likely to see action but um i mean didn't the pga of america kind of investigate that for a while didn't yeah. they look into taking it right and that was 2014 and they it was too expensive and i as i noted a lot has changed um they investigated it namely because of the olympic year issue and and the bunching of tournaments uh, which has not gotten better. And so I, I took the opportunity to to kind of revisit that because I think we know some things have changed internationally. There would The money would be there. Uh, state of the game last week, by the way, uh, uh, you might want to listen. There's some do dollar figures thrown about um, by a former uh, politician from, from Victoria who's a golf nut. Uh, PJ Tour, the President's Cup, got about 17 million U.S. dollars in government uh funding and you've got to think a pga championship would be worth double that the tourism i, I know but it, not many people travel to the president's cup people would travel to a pga championship there it would be a massive thing and anyway 
long story short, the other big change since they investigated this is they now run the women's PGA championship and you could kind of get a two for one because the women's schedule this year is just horrendous. If you want them to perform in the Olympics, like these people do. So, um, the, I, and I just think the, 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 it would come down to television and, uh, I, I just got to think somebody like Seth Walk could sit with CBS and ESPN, by the way, ESPN made the Australian open. I mean, they were really a part of its rebirth, uh, at least here in the U S in making that an event that, and obviously it helped. They had Djokovic and <laughs> Murray and Federer and Nadal, uh, for a run there. But, uh, and that tournament's just everything they've done is they've just done really well the last few years to vault it back into its true major status. Um, and you, you're telling me that the same thing couldn't happen with, with Melbourne and golf and, and the PGA, there are a couple great dates in February. It would spread out the schedule in these Olympic years, but it'd be so huge for the PGA championship. And people would be going crazy for it. But yeah. My only thing is, but it happens with the open championship. It happened with the Ryder cup, you know, the U S TV schedules. I mean, the U S isn't the entire world, but it is a tricky watch, isn't it? I mean, it was a tricky. It was a tricky watch last week. Uh, staying up late. I mean, it's almost like a DVR watch. Um, but but I guess that would be the the most difficult selling point. I would imagine it would. It would. But I think we've also. I mean, so much is changing with with media. By the time they do it, um, if they did it, it the next Olymp- Open Olympic year in twenty twenty eight, they would. Um, I mean, who knows what's going to the landscape's going to look like, and you know, there could be pay per view by by then, or there could be. Uh, Apple and Amazon in the in the mix, and uh, ESPN could have been sold to Apple. I mean, you could go down a number of of uh, yeah. that poor that horrible business at ESPN where they only made two point nine billion dollars last year, so they had to cut people. Unbelievable. But anyway, they do have a lot of rights fees coming up, um, and that is a concern that they have to pay. So I I, I wish they would revisit it again because they have the two events. The schedule is too bunched. Uh, for the for the top players in these Olympic years, if you want them to play the Olympics and the and of course the all important FedEx Cup, actually a, a major championship in February might be pretty cool. You could adjust the times. You could play a little earlier. Um, split tees maybe, uh, which isn't ideal if you're really trying to get it to get take care of US TV. But I, I think in February, uh, when it would be played, Royal Melbourne would be. I mean, Mike Clayton says that that's in its its peak, firm and fast, and summertime and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm cringing here. I'm imagining the greens at Royal Melbourne in February. How firm and fast it would yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, actually, a couple of great play, Jasper. So well done. Um, oh, and amazing. I thought that uh, Zhang did. Really well, actually, they all did really well in their uh, interviews. But Zhang, especially, because yeah. he it was there for him, wasn't it? It was there, uh, and he lost it. And he was still really gracious and very articulate. Speaks speaks highly to a Cal education. You have to say, well, he speaks three languages. That's pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, he's impressive. Uh, he's he's really he's I I was I I really knew nothing about him and I was I was glued watching I was I was really impressed with uh, he just knew he didn't quite have it on Sunday and he held it together as long as he could and what do you do when they make those putts of course he hits he his approach is literally what was it I don't know six seven feet left of the pin maybe ten feet but it, the way that green was it just funneled it hard left and yep. long and then he had sprinkler heads in his way and so he kind of had to wedge it and he still had a par putt and what are you going to do when those two make downhill 
putts with a master's birth uh, on the line. I mean, just crazy stuff. It was it was wild. I mean, this event's turned in really has turned into something, especially when they take it to a venue like that. So kudos to uh, Augusta National and the, the RNA. Um, good stuff, brilliant stuff. Actually, you're speaking there, Jeff, about the. Uh, who knows what the landscape of golf will be like in uh, 2028? Yeah. Uh, and indeed, who does know? Uh, we've spoken a lot over the last few weeks about the uh, the events of June the sixth slash framework agreement uh, negotiations. Uh, I'm I'm finding it hard to follow, Jeff. The uh, twists and turns. Uh, the latest is that uh, Endeavour. I mean, it seems like only a couple of weeks we were talking about uh, Aria Manuel. I think bidding 250 million for 10 percent of uh, a new a new call PGA Tour new call which would be uh, hived off from the uh, charitable side of the PGA Tour. Uh, lo and behold, um, uh, Endeavour, uh, Ari Omano is the CEO. The COO, uh, Mark Shapiro, uh, revealed last week, very oddly, I thought, uh, that their their bid had been turned down by the PGA Tour and that Endeavour is not going to be an investor in the PGA Tour at any level. You wrote about it in the quadrilateral. The thing that stru- struck me from your piece was that something doesn't uh, smell right what well, didn't smell right? Ah, they just took this uh, like, hey, no big deal. Hey, you know, everything's fine. We'll just move on to our next deal. That's not how Ari Emanuel works. He's Ari Gold for a reason. I used to encounter Ari at Riviera when he was a new young member. He had um, he he and some cohorts had uh, pilfered the offices in the middle of the night of a friend of mine, Guy McElwain, uh, an ICM, and they started their own agency, which has become this, and he's built it into an unbelievable company. Uh, he is a, uh, a fantastic operator. He knows what he's doing. He has mellowed. He is not the character on, uh, on, uh, entourage, my God. And, uh, he is, um, uh, love sports, loves golf. You saw that interview. And so suddenly to be, oh, you know, it, we got rejected after a week and the tour confirmed it publicly, which was extremely uh, surprising. They don't usually do such things. Um, it just smelled like either we put this out there as a courtesy to them because they do do work with them to help with other bids. I There were a number of reasons that I, you could have read into it. Ultimately, I just read into it that no, something, something doesn't smell right here. They're just way too good natured about it. And uh, maybe, you know, they're going to revisit their old uh, deal. That was reported on by our uh, friend of the show, Mark Tanizaro. Uh, what was that, a year ago? And or maybe uh, that would have been uh, yeah, a year ago. Yeah, or maybe the tour just really does have so many other offers, or there are players that are that are toying with a jump to live because they sense this uh, deal's falling apart, and the tour and and uh, Endeavor and everybody wanted out there that. Um, that, that, that is not the case that this deal just wasn't, they just didn't want this unsolicited in quotes offer. The, the, the one problem with that is then Shapiro in the, um, in the interview with Sportico proceeds to go, oh, they've got tons of offers and great stuff. And Hey, you know, good for you guys. He's way too happy for them. Who's that happy when you get something they, all the time you put into a bid and, and, and the paperwork and the lawyers, and then you're rejected within what, 10 days. Um, Something something seems uh, fishy there. I'm glad you said that because I then followed up with, um, you know, asked a few questions here and there. Got a couple of phone calls. And, well, by all accounts, you your instincts are probably right. Uh, they're not that upset. How about this, Jay? Again, all speculation at this stage. Who knows what's happening? Um, but the latest I've heard that there might be, uh, we might not be looking at two tours very soon. We might not just be looking at a world in which Liv oh, exists no. and which... 
which do exist. Yeah, there could be. Well, not another one. Actually, again, I was drawn to this tweet from uh, from Mickelson this week, um, who, um, well, if you remember, just to recall, Mark Canazar wrote the story last October. But Mickelson revisited that story. The story was that, uh, that Mickelson had gone to the PGA Tour with uh, Ari Emanuel and, and Endeavour and Silver Lake. There's a guy there, I think the CEO is called Egon Durbin, I think it is. And they floated the idea of a, a, a tour to take over from the fall schedule, uh, eight events, elevated events, uh, limited fields, uh, high purses. And, of course, the, they were chased out the door. Uh, can you imagine chasing Ari Emanuel out the door by uh, Jay Monaghan and Ed Hurley, who famously said that uh, any entity that is not 100% uh, owned by the PGA Tour, we see we view as hostile. It seems as slightly short-sighted. Um, anyway, I, the latest that I've been hearing is that uh, this there may be a tour along those lines that Mickelson uh, talked about in his tweet this week, uh, which is to say eight elevated events, uh, limited fields. Then his tweet, he talks about Silver Lake owning, but it could be anybody who would own a new elevated events, 50-50 and a separate entity, 50-50 uh, with the players. So uh, the scenario painted to me, Jeff, is a, a third tour, eight events, limited field of uh, 50 players. Uh, this is the uh, this is the kicker though. Fifty players from the PG Tour and Live Golf. Uh, so Bryson and Brooks and uh, would all be welcome back, and that would be the selling point. This is the only place where you can see every single uh, all of the top players apart from the major championships. Uh, it kind of makes sense to me, Jeff, as a marketing project um, because we've all been complaining about the majors being the only place that we can see all the best players in the world together. Um, if you were able to pitch a tour. A uh, limited number of events, a uh, limited field, and the beauty of the field is, is all the very best players in the world. Sound good to you? I don't understand. Well, what what, what happens to a PGA Tour member? They're going to get suspended, and they're well. The point being, uh, is the PGA Tour really going to suspend? Re you know, Patrick Cantley, Shoffley, Fowler, uh, whoever else. They they want to be a member of the PGA Tour, but they want to play in these events. It's in the fall. Oh, they're in the fall. Okay. Are they really going to suspend another 30 guys in the PGA Tour? You'd have to think that would be a very risky proposition from the P PGA Tour's perspective. It's a time of year when nobody's... I mean, I didn't watch a bit of the LPGA last week. There's just too much on. There's the World Series. There's football. There's basketball. Like, what, what? Another fall? More golf in the fall? And then they come right back with the, the game show league in January. I, it just sounds like a lot. Uh, but a lot of playing for these guys and 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 remember now, a bunch of these guys are now going to have to fly back from the West Coast swing to Florida to play the uh, TGL, the Tech Infused Golf League. I, I just when do they when do they when do they enjoy life? <laughs> when do they when do they allow their bodies to get reset and and to relax? Uh, how about this for a schedule? If you're a, a top ten professional golfer, top ten in the world, uh, fourteen live events and eight uh, events on this uh, this new fall tour. Uh, each event, every single event worth 20, 25 million or whatever it is. That sounds like, that's 22 weeks. Uh, that, that's not a, that sounds like a pretty uh, manageable schedule, surely. Yeah, I guess it's manageable. Uh, they all said they wanted to play less and, and they do play a pretty international schedule, but um, you're forgetting the majors in there and a few of those guys want to play the majors and still be competitive. So I, it's, uh, I it just, I, I'm fascinated by the fall notion so we'll see i'm going to place that the, the idea of this this idea of a brand new uh, eight event tour i'm going to place that as higher than idle speculation i think there is actually something in that uh, and uh, again you 
if you ally that with your observation that uh, Endeavour and uh, Ari seemed very comfortable of being turned down by the PGA Tour, it does raise a, raise a perspective of uh, the PGA Tour being the victim of some kind of pincer movement that, you know, in their desperation to hang on to control of whatever they have, they, they ultimately lose control to perhaps uh, Live Golf and this other crowd might uh, might team up and they, they, they would then present a 22 event schedule for the year, mm. add on the four majors, there you have your 26 events. And the yeah. PGA, what is the PGA Tour? What is the PGA Tour left with? It's uh, hard, uh, hard to think about that. Just one last thing. I, the only thing I have trouble with is uh, seeing that that, that Ari Emanuel uh, gets in, in, you know, hooked up with the Kingdom in some way. You know, he he it cost him a lot of money to get out of a previous investment with them, um, and it was I think four hundred million dollars, and and you know the, the number never got out what it was that that he had to pay that back in, in interest, but he did it after the Khashoggi killing, and I I'm I'm struggling to see him uh, doing that again. But you know they have set up this separate entity uh, TKA, TKO, and it's publicly traded, whereas they may be taking Endeavor back private. So I, I there's some. There's a lot more here, and I think that's a part of this. Uh, Silver Lake has, uh, and Egon Durbin has 71% of the shares of Endeavor, I believe. So there, there's something to this. Something is up. But uh, all I know is uh, these are very aggressive people in the world of sports business, and they just don't take rejection that uh, that well normally. So <laughs> Public, quick, weird, just very weird. Strange. If I uh, if I had a new tour, Jeff, where would I go to broadcast that? Uh, well, I think you you have to look at Apple and Amazon being interested in sports uh, under their terms and their you know Apple in particular is very focused on the presentation. They want it to they want to well at least with soccer uh, MLS they really wanted to do it a different way and show a new way to, to present it and charge you for it and all that stuff. And, and by all accounts, it's, it's been a huge success. Their baseball Friday night things, kind of a weird little, little uh, not as attractive kind of add on to the MLB's uh, media deal, but the, the soccer model is interesting. And then Amazon, the same thing they want to, they're interested and it it's a part of, maintain it's a different model and so that's why they don't have to worry quite as much about i mean they still don't want to overspend but they do they are not reliant on advertising although amazon just had its earnings and had monster advertising revenues that caught the uh caught wall street off guard so they have the ability to sell ads as well uh if they if they want to do that model so i don't know espn's just got too much uh, and rights fees, and they have conflicts in their relationship with the tour. I mean, that's the other thing you have to look at, Lawrence, is who's, you know, these entities that have a partnership with the tour can't just go and right. do something like this. So it's it's limited, but but it's not. I, I, and then I don't know what happened with the Warner Brothers Discovery situation on the uh, international streaming package. If they, when they kind of rewrote that deal, did they get something where they have the freedom to do something like this? I don't know. I, I, all I do know is my Apple subscription has gone up to $16 or something or $16.99 a month for Apple TV. Yeah. And Turner, Warner, whatever you want to call it, they are, they are all in on sports and streaming and they're going to want more. So I, I, depending on how that works with their, their international deal with the tour, I, I, they're going to be aggressive if they can be, but yes, all the, all the fees are going up and um, the cable bundle suddenly looks like a good deal. 
Well, it'll all, all will be revealed soon enough, I think. Um, although, again, lots of talk that the, the uh, negotiations on the uh, framework agreement are going to go uh, on well into the new year. Um, Live Golf is gearing up. We'll see. Uh, listen, Jeff, we're going to have to, there's lots of news, actually. We're just going to run through very quickly. Uh, you, you noted, and uh, I think I noted as well, that Donald uh, did an interview with Tom Kershaw of the Times in London, he, uh, which Luke basically said he, he didn't even really had to read between the lines. The, uh, he's pretty keen to do the, the Ryder Cup uh, captaincy in 2025. And even, do you think he's been offered it already, Jeff? I do. The way he spoke, I don't think he would speak that way if he didn't uh, get some message that if he was interested, they'd like to know and they will uh, not conduct the, uh, the, the, the search committee's uh, deep dives into other candidates if he's interested. That's how I read it. Uh, the uh, that's a break from precedent because usually this thing is uh, is kind of handy round. Uh, I guess it goes to show that uh, Poulter, Westwood, Stenson, and Garcia, yeah, were all future captains are are there out of the picture now. They're out of it, yeah. So you lost yeah. four possible, and I don't. I just think when you go to the New York market, uh, that that uh, Luke Donald's a good fit. I mean, you don't pick a captain based on where you're going, but it's it's. I think his style which some might call boring or or state or something i although as we saw during this Ryder cup when he needed to be a little more forceful or a little more opinionated um you know he was he was there so i think that market calls for a polter in new york would have been a disaster even though everybody always thought that would be so much fun <laughs> oh my god can you imagine it would have been it would have been entertaining but it, it would have been too much so i think that uh He's the guy. What what else you got? You got Nicholas Colsarts and um, Francesco Molinari, maybe. I, I don't see either of those two being uh, a fit when you take the Ryder Cup to New York. A uh, couple of things you raised. The mention of Poulter, I did watch it for my sins. I did watch a bit of the college golf from Eastlake yesterday. Luke Poulter, Ian Poulter's son, did really, really well. Looked like he was going to win it. Three parties, I think 16 or something. And then doubled the last to, to but, but that's really great. He's a smashing kid, really good player actually. And it just goes to show you, it's not. Uh, I think he's a junior at college now. Anyway, really good player. Looks like a chip off the old block. I'll be interested to keep hmm. watching him. Um, uh, yeah, again, it sounds like uh, that Luke Donald's been offered it. Um, I wonder who'll get twenty seven. Actually, Jeff, who would get twenty seven for Europe? Let, let's just deal with twenty five, okay? And we'll, we'll we'll go from there. Jeez, uh, it was that was Graham McDowell's to lose, and he's out. By the way, yeah, actually, there's five captains. Uh, I didn't even mention him in my my breakdown. That's actually five future captains they've they've potentially lost. So, um... listen, one last story, uh, PG Tour related, uh, quite staggering, really. Uh, rec again, recommend another podcast. Go to Monday QM for Ryan French's podcast. He interviews uh, one of the two guys who were. Uh, um, suspended by the PGA Tour last week um, for uh, for gambling. Uh, one, uh, Vince India, was given a six-month sentence, a sentence, that's the wrong word, uh, suspension. Uh, but uh, uh, Ryan spoke to Jake Stiano, I think is how you pronounce the guy's name, um, who was suspended for three months beginning September the 11th through to December the 11th this year. Um, I'm guessing it's not missed on you, Jeff, but that's exactly when... Uh, 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 Jake would have been playing uh, at Q School, so essentially it's not a... I mean, he can still play in uh, Monday qualifiers and all that after his suspension is lifted, but it's basically it's not a three-month uh, suspension, it's really a year suspension. That was his best chance of getting on the Corn Ferry Tour. 
struck me um, as quite vindictive at the time, especially when you 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 learn that he he was caught to use the and uh, put that in inverted commas making four bets uh, worth a combined total of one hundred and sixteen dollars twenty cents. Um, I don't know, Jeff. Uh, I mean, I, as I say, I thought that was pretty vindictive. Uh, you delve into the details, and it gets even worse, right? He he was not a member of the PGA Tour. Uh, I, I don't understand how. Well, well when the were, bets were made, when the bets, when the were, bets made, were made, yeah. correct. So I, I don't understand how somebody went back, as he just detailed in the pod uh, with Ryan French uh, about um, going through, I guess, all players' previous bets, and uh, and he, and the other one who was uh, Vince India, who was suspended for six months, he was not a member of the tour in 2021. He was several years prior to that and since so he must have had some membership status but uh jake did not have any status i, I don't understand how you can be suspended for for first of all 116 dollars on the the match which is only sanctioned as a tour event to uh to to get a million bucks out of uh of the uh the event and send a <laughs> rules official there to set up the course and and uh help him pick a number out of the hat on the playoff hole or something but um I just I'm, I'm at a loss to understand why this integrity uh, program they have is, is is retroactive. It's just nuts. It has all the makings of feeling like we're we're trying to set show we're making an example of some people. They did this with Doug Barron that didn't go very well. I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm perplexed. Of course, we get no details from the tour, but when you find out the details, they're they're brutal. And yeah, this is as they're pushing betting. Uh, they're the, the new league, uh, the tiger game show league, the, uh, in starting in January is all about betting. Uh, that's the whole upside of that. The PGA tours, uh, for-profit entity that is supposedly getting these unsolicited bids, uh, the gambling and the data are a big part of that. So of course the hypocrisy of, of, um, of cracking down on this kind of little, the kind of bet you want people to make. Now, look, a totally different situation if he's betting on tournaments he's playing in or he's a member of the tour and he's seen stuff on the range, totally different deal. And the caddies still do that, I'm sure. Uh, see somebody who's warming up horribly and, <laughs> and plays a bet, he's going to miss a cut. Although there are a lot of miscut bets out there. So I can tell you from, from experience. So, it just stinks. It just stinks in every way. And I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm at a loss to understand how this, how this happened to bet two years ago, wasn't a member four bets, excuse me. And on the match of all things. Well, there was one bet on a FedEx cup playoff, um, $25 okay, dollars in price, right? Oh my god! Uh, just for the yeah, just for the uh, just for the the record here. Listen, Jeff, uh, we have a friend of the pod on this week. Uh, uh our good friend, David Jones, we're going to talk about golf course rankings. Uh, we'll keep this very, very short uh, because we'll talk to David about uh, elements of this. But uh, the golf magazine rankings, which I guess, Jeff, for better or for worse, has long been seen as the kind of gold standard of golf course rankings. The top 100 around the world uh, was published last week or was made public last week. It's published in a couple of weeks' time, I think. Caused absolute uproar. I actually I put a tweet uh, on Mikel, on the Mikel tw uh, Twitter feed uh, saying uh, that the corruption involved in this was kind of breathtaking. I, I, I mean the I mean I wasn't specifically highlighting any specific aspect of co corruption. To me, the corruption in it all w was just the uh, this ranking 
all of these rankings, historically all these rankings are just rotten to the core with conflicts of interest. Uh, and most of them undeclared. Uh, in this particular case, I do know that, because uh, I spoke to a couple of panelists, that they do have to tick. There's some boxes that they have to tick if they're in any way conflicted. But those those box ticking, uh, you know, those conflicts are not made public. Uh, I mean, there really is an actual literal d definition of uh, a box ticking exercise. The conflicts are all there. They've been widely discussed by people uh, 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 on Twitter and other social media platforms. Golf travel is now, a mo I mean, it has been to a certain extent a huge industry over the years, but it really is now a multi-multi-million dollar industry and largely influenced by rankings like this. Uh, you know, and when there's so much money involved and these rankings have so much kind of power and influence, there is a potential for trouble. There just, there just is. Uh, and I think uh, that was my point. You know, the consumer, if it was any other industry, Jeff, uh, Jeff and there was this kind of influence exerted by a particular um, analyst, uh, say a Wall Street analyst in a particular sector, and the FEC would be all over it. Yet here we have the golf industry, this huge industry, the golf travel industry, this huge industry, quite influenced by rankings like this. Um, and the rankings like this are, as I say, rotten to the core with conflicts. Uh, yet the consumer has no idea what's going on. It is. And, uh, you know, when I worked on my my uh, book, Golf Architecture for Normal People, which has kind of a, a, a ranking system, if you will, uh, questions to ask to help you understand a course. One of the things as I was doing that, reflecting on a lot of different elements and evolutions, uh, evolutionary elements of, of uh, golf architecture, the, the, the influence of the rankings is can be just uh, incredible. And it can be incredibly good in terms of leading to the things we're seeing with restoration movements and now sort of fueling uh, that now fueling interest in trying to uh, fix up public courses. And so there are a lot of positives, but then it can be just so bad in terms of uh, either pushing certain trends, you know, golf digest for years, pushing difficulty. And, and now you kind of add these elements that are, that are just as you say, it was the gold standard, and and I mean, it has just completely uh, lost it for me. Knowing what what happened in this case, rushing some courses onto the list, and the, and the conflicts involved with that, um, it's it's breathtakingly bad. Especially, yeah, we, yeah, Golf Digest ranking isn't perfect, but you know, when Ron Winton was running it, and he had a golf course and under consideration, it was not eligible for awards. And um, I mean, there there is no disclosure on and on any of the materials they put out. Uh, I mean, we could go on and on. It is it is just an awful look. And and as you say, the people are allowed to vote. Uh, the editor David Denunzio got back to me. They just have to disclose a conflict, and then they look for outlier scores. Well. The yeah, can you imagine a restaurant ranking all all chefs and sous chefs and the dishwashers and what? Yeah, I mean, voting on it. They're they industry people just have too many conflicts. And golf had a problem before with this. They eradicated a bunch of people from the panel over a, a scandal, and this is now appears in house. It appears to be a more of a sponsored content. Uh, 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 driven uh, ranking with some of this, the stuff that went on and then some of the suspicious drops. And it's, uh, and, and I guess the other thing that's ironic in all this, so we'll talk about this with David is that, that I don't think they 
yeah, they still have influence, but some of the things that we think they do to drive sales, it's just not going to matter anymore in terms of magazine sales on the on the newsstand or subscriptions. They're just it's just not going to happen. So I guess it's a natural evolution that the that that this would kind of go to more of a sponsored content. Uh, yeah, and I haven't seen the issue yet. See if there are any ads from any of the the assorted uh, facilities related to uh, these places that got on the list with one of the courses not even being open yet, which is just always a red flag. So um, I think we'll kick around some ideas with David on 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 kind of how to to fix this, and and I certainly. Um, think there's way too much attention given to them, but I don't think it's quite what it used to be. I, I, I felt like they're kind of starting to fade away. There's just, they're, they, they're, uh, they're coming around too often and uh, people aren't too uh, immersed in the, in the movements, uh, average people, uh, we are looking at it, but um, I think it's, um, I think there are better ways to do it, but those better ways don't necessarily generate the discussion they're looking for. The other issue for me is, as I say, this is a huge industry now, and I'm not so sure. Um, it's a huge industry, bringing in new customers all the time, and perhaps those new customers aren't as well as formed as well informed as those of us who've been in, yeah. in and around it for a long time. And where else are they going to go? Hey, Golf Magazine's rankings is the is you know the most highly quoted, blah blah blah. I must I'll look there, and that's where I'll choose my destinations. Well, hang on a second. How can that new customer trust? what Golf Magazine is telling if if none of the conflicts involved are exposed or talked right, about right. or even admitted to. That's the whole point. We'll come on to a bit more with our friend of the pod, uh, David Jones. Uh, Jeff, any other business? I think, uh, I think no, that's No, that should it. cover it. Let's talk to David. Okay, then. Okay, uh, David Jones, uh, this week's friend of the pod. Friend of the pod this week is Mr. David Jones. Before I introduce David, I am going to tell you, he is such a, Jeff, this guy is, and what a giver this guy is. Uh, David is currently on a, a, a sponsored walk, I guess, a charity walk uh, from St. Andrews to uh, Aberdeen for a charity called uh, 
Kipawa, uh, which provides uh, support for vulnerable children in communities in Kenya, uh, a really great cause. If you go to ukgolfguide.com, uh, you will you can donate uh, or you can enter a raffle or an auction. Any all great stuff, uh, typical of David. Um, David, uh, you know what really annoys me? I've been in the golf space for years, and you know I, I've got a handful of friends and two handfuls of enemies. Uh, everybody in golf, you've been in the golf kind of space for about three weeks, and everybody loves you. What what, what is it about David Jones? <laughs> what a lovely question, Lawrence. What a lovely introduction. Yeah, um, wow. And I'm, even, and I'm not even going to try to answer it. So it's been a little bit longer than three weeks. It's been a little bit longer, but, but not a huge amount longer. Um, and yeah, I just like I just like meeting nice people like you guys. I've got to know you over the last few years and various others. And what I find in the industry generally is that people are, are really welcoming and want to talk about nice golf courses and and different issues and subjects in the game. And uh if you do it in a halfway reasonable way, people seem to listen to you. Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, yes, yeah, it doesn't sound like a plan to me, Jeff. Um, <laughs> uh, David, uh, the, <laughs> the reason I, I thought I'd give you a call uh, is that uh, we talked about it a bit in the podcast uh, before you come on there about the whole business of ranking uh, the uh, golf magazine, which I guess, uh, as I described to Jeff, is probably the, um, you, you know, the the apex predator in the world of golf rankings, uh, top 100 around the world, um, came out last week to much gnashing of teeth, uh, all sorts of um, allegations, not allegations, but accusations and criticisms and support uh, flying around. Um, you wrote a blog about it, David. What, what, was your, um, what was your view on that particular ranking? We'll start there. Um, I mean... It's it's the best ranking in the world of golf, to be honest with you. Um, if, a few years ago, a bit more than three weeks, I used to do an aggregate of all the different world rankings to try to come up with like an ultimate list. And there were four in that at the time. Uh, there was this one. There was the top100golfcourses.com, um, who do an amazing number of rankings in lots of different places. Um, there was a, the Golf Digest one, and there was a Golf Architectures one, uh, which, which, which was a really nice ranking. Um, and then I'd say that the Golf Digest one jumped the shark massively um, a few years ago because it, it had a ranking of the top 100 courses in the world. And then it kept the name top 100 courses in the world, but actually subtly changed it to only if you're not in America. But but you wouldn't necessarily know that. Um, and then you'd have all these courses um, randomly appearing in it. Uh, there was one, I just looked at their ranking, their last one, Monterey is better than Royal St. George's, which will mean something to some of your listeners, um, but it's not true. Um, and that list became incredibly commercial and just, just weird. So I dropped that one. And then the Golf Architecture one, which the only people who could vote on that were the Golf Architects. I think it was maybe 60 or 70. Um, in fact, Jeff, I don't know if you included in that, but, but, but it was a really good list, but it just got out of date. Um, so that kind of left only two. It left kind of the one we've got here, the Golf magazine one and the top 100 golf courses and um there's a website which is anyone who's played the top courses in the world gets their name on them that uh, top 100 and this is the ranking that they use you know this is the one that everybody in the world looks at it's the one that's incredibly important um to the golf courses so this is the list that, that you really want to be on and it's important for people, and there's a few of them out there who are trying to play the top 100 courses in the world. So as a list, it's really important. 
And I guess you probably talked about it, changed editorship a few years ago, uh, changed to Ran Morissette, who's someone who's got a website, uh, Golf Club Atlas, which, which I've read for a few years, and, and um, people who are really into golf course architecture on. And when he came in, um, there were certainly some changes in, in the way that certain courses were on it and certain courses weren't on it. He changed the panel as well to an extent. So it's, so it's a really important list. And when I looked at this list, I'll be honest with you, there's some things I don't agree with. There are some things that no doubt you've talked about and we can talk about which um, raised eyebrows a little bit. But it's still the number one ranking list in the world and it's really important as a result of that. You didn't tell me what you thought of the ranking though. I think it's good. Um, I think that the, as you'd have read in the blog that I wrote, there was a few things that, that I thought were odd. Um, the idea that, that a course that's, that's not even opened yet gets on there. I can kind of see it. And like, I'll declare an interest now. I ranked for today's golfer uh, in the UK. And they do several different lists. One is a continental European list. It's just come out. Um, Comporta Dunes, it's a McClay Kid course that opened earlier this year. In fact, it opened about a month ago. I got to see it several months before it had opened. And I think it's okay to have some preview play. I do think it's a challenge, though, um, when you're ranking on the back of that. So I think there should be something we look at or that the uh, magazine looks at that says... You probably need to have a few more rankers through it, so the more broad church of people looking at a golf course before it turns up. Uh, so I did think that was a little bit odd that, that that a couple of courses went straight in. Cape Wickham, which I wrote about, which you know the outpouring of love for a golf course, I don't think I've ever seen as the Twitterati or the Exterati who were going loving Cape Wickham, um, and yet it dropped out of the top 100, which is amazing. It was in its 60 a couple of years ago, went down to 70 and to drop out. I'll be honest, I just thought that's wrong. Um, so that I didn't like particularly. There's probably a couple of other things. I think there's a little bit of a risk with this one that, that there's always a pendulum in these things. If you'd looked at a ranking, any ranking, not just this list, if you'd looked at one 20 years ago, the kind of courses that were doing well, there was a lot of parkland courses, a lot of lakes involved, a lot of target golf. They were all doing really, really well. Um, well, that pendulum has, has swung away quite a lot. And it's probably swung away. There was a piece I wrote in the blog around some of our great courses in the UK. Um, you know, Carnoustie was, was in the 20s for years and years and years. And now that's gone a bit lower. Um, it's, it's a little bit going to say woke that's not the right word to use it's a little bit gca gca-ish so if you're really into golf course architecture i'll give you a great example of it. i love north berwick it's my favorite golf course in the world of the ones i've played i think jeff has said that um as well and it's 30 in the world now um and my slight concern is am i now in a position of saying i think that the west links at north berwick is overrated um which is a crazy position to be in because it's my favorite but there's just that swinging of the pendulum. I do wonder if it swung a little bit too far. But overall, it's a pretty good ranking list. In your blog last week, you highlighted, I've just alighted on it here. I'm looking at it, um, the open rota. It's a really, I didn't, I didn't spot this, but you did, that the, uh, the fairly precipitous drop in the courses on the open rota. I mean, Royal Liverpool is now 93 uh, it's quite amazing. I actually was I was Royal Lytham seventy four. I actually I was at Royal Lytham this April. 
it's that's a much better golf course. We, you know, with a close examination, and you go around it a few times. It really is a wonderful golf course. I guess we could argue about golf courses, but the overall point: Troon sixty-six, Burtdale forty-two, Rollins and George's thirty-three, Carnoustie forty, uh, Portrush sixteen, Muirfield twelve, the old course three. Um, what's the um, any explanation for this? Uh, why these golf courses are no longer as um, seen as kind of um, as well? Why the open rotor courses are are being downgraded by rankers? Oh yeah, and and like I I have no idea. I can give you my view, which I will. But, well, but at the end of the day, with all of these, and I think that it was interesting reading the actual article from the editor ran in the magazine because because he he understandably talks about courses that are doing well. Um, there isn't really any discussion around courses that aren't doing as well. And he, and his answer, I think, but it, it would be great to hear from him on it, would be he doesn't really know, I guess. Um, I do think what we're seeing with open rotor courses is two things. One is, you know, I, I played probably half of them this year. I played them all in the last three or four years. Um, is some of them are getting set up really hard now. So some of them you go a couple of yards off the fairway and and you're in a tough place. Um, and some of the you know the bunkering is probably more penal than than, it, than it's ever been. However, I think there's there's probably two other things happening with it, and I don't know if these are fair or not. The First one is a little bit of the work that has been done on them recently um, has, I mean, a lot of it, let's face it, has happened from Mackenzie and Ebert. One ranker described it to me as the M&E effect. And there's something which is, you know, it's not particularly fashionable in the golf course architecture world to like a lot of their work on these courses. Um, one of the one of the accusations, not accusations, one of the comments is a lot of the changes which the RNA specifically have been asking for aren't necessarily to make the inherent golf course that much better, um, but they are to, to further the commercial ambitions of the RNA. Now, that comes down to, to what the brief is to M&E. So I've seen some great stuff from M&E. I was at Hankley Common last year, and I think some of the changes they've made there are really nice in some other places as well. But if their brief is to how do we get more punters around the golf course as quickly as we can, because the Open has grown to something so much larger that, that it was, you know, 20 years ago, um, they're being asked to carry out some of that work. So I think that that is happening to an extent. And then also you've got um, you've, you've got people who are who are really liking at the moment this idea of of the romance, you know, the romance of a Prestwick or an Berwick, which which I totally buy into. Anyone who's read some of the reviews and some of the things I do, I, I understand that. But when you're ranking the best courses in the world, um, you can't get too carried away with that. I think there's, there's a bit of a methodology thing. You know, um, if you're on this panel, my understanding is you're allowed to rank a golf course, even if you've not seen it for quite a while. Um, and there are people who will have images of Carnoustie or, or even Muirfield, which has actually stayed the same, which, which probably aren't true anymore. Um, you know, when I think of Muirfield 10 years ago, Muirfield was, was quite a miserable place for a mid-handicapper like me. Um, you could hit the ball just off the fairway and good luck finding it, frankly. 
They've done an amazing job at really thinning that out, um, realizing that it's about enjoyment and the fun. And and I've I've not been to Carnoustie now for three years, but but I'm amazed at the people who speak to me about Carnoustie, and a lot of them are saying actually it's it's become a lot more playable than it was. But you've got guys ranking this golf course to their memories that 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 are some years ago. So I think all of that combines some of it. You know, is probably right, um, but some of it is around perception rather than reality. Um, and there's just what's what's fashionable. What do people like? Who are the ones who are ranking this list? And and that's probably what it comes down to. Uh, Jeff, so I think David is saying you know fashion has a lot to do with this. Um, should we take fashion into account when we're ranking golf courses? Well, the, that's always been a part of rankings. Uh, there was a Fazio phase, and there've been other. There've been various phases. I think the problem that we that was exposed by this most recent ranking by Golf, um, when you when you see sort of the the desperation or the blatant conflict of interest stuff, um, and then you combine it with uh, the size of the panel, and you can look at the list, and you know some. There's some people on there that aren't traveling like they used to. I mean, it really gets down to very few votes for some of these courses. And while the editor clarified that people disclose their conflicts, it just and they and they will they will throw out a score if it's it's uh, seems out of out of line or excessive or bizarre and not in line with the rest. Another thing that I hate that that Golf Digest does as well this whole monitoring of scores and outliers and you know uh, anyway that's a whole other topic but i think it's kind of weird uh and i detailed it in my my book even that you know one panelist i got several stories but my favorite was it got a call an angry call for giving cypress point a 10 and ambiance which is i mean i yeah anyway uh <laughs> if he wants to give it a 10 i think he's not exactly out of line most people would agree with that one if that category is what it's supposed to be but um so I think when you realize how few people are voting on some of these things or traveling or seeing them, it, it really then leads to these weird little swings. And I guess ultimately it comes down to the problem of, of ranking courses by number. A lot of this discussion and the controversy, setting aside the course that hasn't even opened yet, the other one that you know, they ran a photo of in the magazine uh, that was that was clearly after the first mowing. So it's kind of new too. Um the problem is this ranking by number, and I would love, you know, David's thoughts. I, I have views that that I feel like that was a concept created to to sell magazines or create clicks or whatever you want to call it. But now, I mean, there are no newsstands. There's nobody going and buying these things. Uh, so the the idea of ranking by number is just a way to get attention, and the movements are. What's sad is we know there are people whose jobs have been affected by that, or courses have been redone. Uh, as a result of these movements. And it seems like a better ranking would just be somewhat like what Michelin does with restaurants. Certain places get a certain star, then there's another star, and there's another star, and then there's no star. And uh, But I guess that wouldn't move, that wouldn't move uh, whatever, magazines or create clicks and create the interest every two years. Um, David, how do you feel about the numerical element of it all? Oh, yeah, I mean, the, the problem is just, just the... The reality of where we live right or kind of where we're living uh you know tom doak um created exactly what you're talking about and what tom did in the confidential guide was 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 to give his scores and that's exactly that it's putting those into the bandings um 
the fried egg. I think Andy's again started to do it with the number of eggs that, that, that he gives to courses. You know, it's, it's the same idea. I've used one on my website for ages, which is the Peugeot guide, which anyone who traveled in Europe about 20 years ago will remember. And Peugeot basically tried to do a Michelin for golf courses. Rolex did it as well then. There was a, I think only last, did a couple of issues. But, but I guess the inherent problem with that is um, that, that the reality is that that's not as exciting, Jeff. Yeah. You know, why is it exciting to say there are 20 or 30 courses that are all three-star Michelin golf courses? Yeah. I mean, it's exciting to those of us who are really, really into it. But if you're the guys trying to, to get the clicks, um, and, and I guess, you know, that's... That's the reason whenever I put a post up and it could be anything, I could put a ranking up of, you know, absolutely anything. And, and it gets so many eyeballs because people love that kind of argument, which is, which is kind of why when it comes to rankings, I, d- despite the fact that I'm on here talking to you about this one, I can't get that excited about a world top hundred because, you yeah. know, is, is Muirfield 12th and is Dornoth 10th or are they the other way around? It does not matter at all. Right? Right. They are both fantastic places you should go and see. Um, where it gets quite useful, so as I say, I sit on the Today's Golf and the Golf World uh, one in the UK. And and the, the guy there, Chris, he he does some some brilliant ones. He'll do the Scotland Top 100, as, as other publications do, but he'll then do you know the fun ones, uh, what's just a fun place. What's good under 65 or 70 quid in the UK? What's what's the best under 35? And what I always say to those is, do not worry about whether you're playing number 12 or number 20 on that list. You're playing a really nice course, which is costing you under 35 pounds. So I think at that level, rankings can serve a purpose. I suspect at this level, they're largely serving a purpose to two masters. Um, one is the courses, um, and it's far more important to some than others, right? Do Will Port Rush or Mewfield or Royal County Down, who've sold out their tee sheets for next year already, and they will do that again the year after, the year after, the year after, does it matter to them? Probably not at all. But there's other places it absolutely matters to. Um, so between that and the magazines who who absolutely, um, although I have to say that rollout from a golf magazine is is so archaic. I don't think you can well, still exactly, see the list yes. online. But, but because they're still going in, in a bit of an old uh, model and their subscribers need to see it first, but, but it has been 10 days now. Um, but, but I think for them, it is about getting the clicks or satisfying their subscribers. And for, the, and for some courses, yeah, it's important. Um, I would love the idea we could just all say, here are, and let's not have a fixed number, here are 20 or 30 courses now. Great, we've just got a new course, um, I don't know, Friars Head 15 years ago. We think that's now one of the best 20 courses in the world, 25. Great, let's have it in the club as one of the top 25 courses. Let's not agonize over what number it is. But the harsh reality is, um, and of course, this was so much worse on the golf magazine. You know, we're here talking about it now. A few years ago, when you got some of the most random places um, appearing on a list, and it's like, for them, it was all about the money. And there's a little bit about that, Lawrence. You put out an incendiary tweet on the topic, um, and you know there there's a little bit about why is that happening and all that. But in reality, for most of them, it doesn't really matter. But I do think you know Carnoustie is a great example. So Carnoustie dropping from somewhere in the twenties to forty, it probably doesn't matter in terms of how much money they're going to take in next year. But equally, does it really feel right? Um, 
so yeah, I would, I'd love to have a Michelin approach, I agree. Well, you call it incendiary. My point was, David, that uh, that was from the consumer's point of view. Uh, the consumer takes this seriously, takes these rankings seriously. This is a huge industry. They take these rankings seriously, and they look at this particular ranking and think, okay, I, I should trust this. This is a gold standard. But lo and behold, the ranking itself is is rotten to the core with conflicts. None of which um, might be. Hang on a second. They might be disclosed internally, but they're not disclosed externally. So the consumer no. doesn't doesn't get to see these conflicts. Okay. So so I think there's there's a couple of different points in that. Which is I I've, I've not been yet to Cabot St Lucia or to the Lido. Um, I think that. It could well be that when enough people have gone to see those golf courses, they they do think that they're worthy of a place in the top 100. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I've, I've spoken to people who've been to the Lido who absolutely love it. I know that other people have spoken to them who aren't so keen. So my solution to that is, is, is a fairly simple one. Um, and again, very naive. But probably let's let's just leave it a time, Dave. I think I think to get on this list, you need ten people to have seen a golf course to get on this list, and that that seems too small to me for a panel of this size. So I would simply say to that, you can't get on the list until either more people have seen it or actually what I'd rather is a course has been open for general play for 12 months. And at that time, when enough people have seen it, put it on the list. The second point, though, Lawrence, is I do find it bizarre that anyone who's got a commercial interest in a golf course is is allowed to then vote on it to stick it in a ranking. Um and, and if you've got a panel of, of 114 people, whatever it is, why don't we just simply say, if you have a commercial interest in that in, in a particular course, just recuse yourself from the voting on that course, right? Yeah. It's, it, it, isn't, it isn't that hard. Now, someone did say to me, yeah, but what if I'm a member of a course? Well, I can kind of see that and say, yeah, if you're a member of the course, maybe. But even then, maybe not. Like, if they have a big enough panel, if you're a member of a course, even maybe not. But the idea that you can be an investor in the golf course um, and then vote on it, it would be a really simple change for them to make that just says, okay, really easy, any financial interest. And, and I wouldn't just say that if you own it. I, I'd, I'd probably go further and say if you are someone who who hosts an event there and, and your organization is responsible for wanting to have an event at this course, well, you don't get to vote either, right? Um, I think it gets a little bit more interesting when it comes to architects. And Jeff, as as an architect, I want to hear what you think of this, because these guys do know their stuff. And I've spoken, um, in fact, I was speaking to to just one architect today who's got some courses on this list. And, and he's got a very interesting, nuanced view on both his courses and other courses, which which I can see why you'd want that. Do you think, Jeff, that, that if you've worked on a golf course, you should be able to vote for it? And conversely, therefore, should you be able to vote on your competitors' courses either? Yeah, no, I don't. And and and, I, and I'm pretty sure in the Tom Doak years when he ran the ranking that they couldn't do that. Um, but I, I definitely don't think that uh, other than a handful, you know, Brian Curley, I know, and he, he can set aside his feelings. But for the most part, he's on the on the on the list. Uh, but but for the most part, no. And you don't know when somebody lost a job, and then they go see the place, how they vote it. Uh, I I just don't like it uh, at all. I, and, and... But if you take that idea, should they be able to vote on other courses? 
so should they be able to vote on the old course or should they be able to vote on Cyprus or would you just just not have architects on the panel because the risk is then you'd lose stuff yeah i would i would not have architects because i know enough of the the panelists who take this seriously and have integrity and are not swayed by the things that other panelists are swayed by and and it to me that would be the ideal makeup and those people without ties i just think architects shapers uh all these people who are voting on on their own or other people's work ultimately you're going to have some problems especially when again you have a panel that small and you have that few uh votes coming in on some courses and or courses people haven't seen in a long time and still voting I just think it's really tough when when you have that small of a panel. It's um, okay. yeah. So I guess then who is on the panel? I think you just try to have people who are serious uh, architecture aficionados and who like to travel. Um, and they have you know I think about half the panel is that uh, just kind of glancing at it. But but to see these courses this regularly. Um, there's, yeah. there's a risk you just get a bunch of rich guys going around the world well, uh, ranking golf right. courses. It's tough. It's brutal. That doesn't and sound great either. No, and Golf Digest kind of went that way. Remember, they you had to be a single-digit handicap. Of course, now you have yeah. to pay to be uh, on their panel which, and Golf Week. Which I have to say, I just find, I mean, just unbelievable. The idea that you that you pay to get on a paddle because you think that, because that will give you access to some courses is just just bizarre as well. It is. And it's uh, what it's 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 going to end up leading to their demise, because what's happening at a lot of these great courses with Golf Week having whatever, 2000 panelists and Golf Digest trying to get to 2000 or maybe they may have reached it, uh, maybe one of their their uh, bigger revenue sources. And, and it's um, uh, wearing out the pros and the managers and the people at the courses. And I've heard of a few places that just now have a no a no policy on certain rankings yeah. where they are just getting inundated and pros are spending two hours a day on emails back to panelists and uh, they're tired yeah. of it. And, yeah. uh, and, and golf digest I know has tried to do some stuff to, to manage the burden on certain places that, that are maybe a place that's just been redone and, and wants all the votes thrown out and new votes and they're trying, but it's really hard to do. And, and you're wearing out the courses so yeah, it's a tough, uh, tough thing. I also wouldn't have my panel be uh, known publicly. I I don't like the publishing of of uh, names the way they do it. Uh, I think it it also leads to some. Uh, I mean, it led to some of the issues that they had before at Golf Magazine, and uh, this effort to clean it up now has has kind of uh, come full circle, unfortunately. And there's some some of the same questions you have uh, about the list. So. I, I I wish more architects could could be trusted to to vote uh, just based on what they see, but I've I've spent enough time with quite a few of them, and uh, I I uh, <laughs> you know I mean they've they've got rid of some of the ones on the panel, thankfully. So the, the concern I've got is you're going to lose a richness then because you know even if you said an architect can't vote on a course that's that's been created in the last 30 years right but they're still allowed to talk about some of those old yeah. ones I, th I think i think that might help you that's you, possible you still don't get away from the gca ish angle of the courses right. but, but 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 that might help the other thing which again because i'm coming from a uk perspective so the way that it works and this this might sound terribly naive but but on the panels that that i'm on over here the editor 
the editor Chris, he he has his panel together and 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 comes up with the list and then literally hands that over to the magazine. So he's actually a freelancer um, who gets paid to produce lists, but he then hands it over to the magazine. Um, and the magazine say, thank you very much. And that's the list. So I, I think that idea of commercial and editorial well, being separate, yeah. again, I might sound so naive, but don't have, you know, as this one is the chair of the panel, and it's not unusual in America, is a guy who works for the magazine. Well, let's, in fact, the guy who's, who's, who's in charge of the commercial side. And I, ha- I do not know this person from Adam, so I'm not impugning him at all, but it's the optics, right? So the yeah. way it works with Chris is he literally hands over the top 100, and then the commercial team will say, well, here are the guys who are advertising. Um, and then Chris will write a little bit more about the courses who are advertising. But, but I'll give you really good example i was doing and it's just a scotland top 100 list a few years ago we we came up with the list and the commercial team for for the course that was in 101st position they they wanted to take out an advert but it's like well they can take out an advert but they're in 101st position because because there's like a separation of church and state yeah no that's gone and i know that's that's not the way it works in the states but i just think that yeah those optics of saying right You've got to be open for a reasonable time for enough people to see it because you get the rich and there's a you get the risk there's a small group of people just going to new openings. So let's get rid of that and say you've got to be open for a while just to see it. it doesn't have to be that long, but a while. Let's keep the commercial and editorial separate. And really simple, if you've got a financial interest in a course, you just don't get to vote on that course ever. Um I suspect that that you know that that would help because I'm, you know, since since I put that article up, I've spoken to to quite a few panelists from Golf Magazine who are guys I have zero doubt at all about their integrity. I have zero doubt about their intentions. And yet, you know, they're getting drawn into something which which just seems unfair. So why don't we just get rid of that noise? A very good point. Like you, David, and like you, Jeff, I've had numerous texts from from panelists over the last week just ripping the whole uh, the organization of of this particular list incidentally david i just want to scroll back you you seem to be playing down the importance of uh, of lists like this um i i, I was uh, i was speaking to um a, a general manager of a, an open rota course uh, last summer and he was infuriated that his place had dropped a couple of spaces and he was asking you know, what what do i do to get it back up i mean so yeah. these you know, at that level people are are concerned about it uh, I, I uh, full disclosure. I was at, I was at Olympic Club last week, um, and they, I was playing a game of golf. I was having a look at the redo, Gohans's redo. Um, big improvement, I have to say. But at, at Olympic Club, the late course are very concerned that the that the late course has dropped out the top one hundred, and they're very very anxious to, to get back in. So these things, no matter how well established the golf course is, um, these yeah. this really matters to people within the industry. And and I think sometimes is pride. And I understand if you're a member of a world top 100 golf course, you want to be that. But it's not always the case. So again, the example I talked about was Cape Wickham, right? And Cape Wickham is, for those of your listeners who don't know, is is a course um, built by Mike DeVries and Darius Oliver a few years ago on a small island, King Island, um, which isn't even in Tasmania. It's, it's off the coast there. And... And they, it's a, I'll put my colors to the mask. It's, it's a fantastic golf course. I absolutely love it. 
And for them, there are a lot of golfers. I wouldn't probably, the first time I went to Australia, I went and I was there for 10 days. I flew from the UK to do a 10-day trip. If that course hadn't been the top 100 of the world, I probably wouldn't have got there, to be honest with you. And now they've dropped out. There's a risk that other people won't get to go there again. And yet... So I, I don't know if you guys spend much time on threads, uh, but I was I saw that Mike Clayton uh, posted a thread the other day saying, you know, the Australian panelists probably know their stuff more than these guys because they get there a lot and they know it. They have Royal Melbourne one, Cape Wickham two, Van Boogle Dunes that Mike Clayton did with Oak three. He says that seems right to me. You know, so for Cape Wickham to your point, and I'm sure there's there's others as well, dropping out is a real, real worry because if it doesn't get that many rounds of golf a year, it's a phenomenal place to play golf. And and it's dropped from 60 to out the top 100 in four years, um, which, which then you come back to the methodology and you get back to how they're doing it again. Um, that, 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 that's a concern. So I, I'm not saying it's not important. I think, I, you know, my point was if you're Muirfield, and you drop two places or Dornick goes up two places, doesn't matter. But of course it matters for others. Design me, you have, you have 60 seconds to design me a, a credible gold standard ranking system. Well, you need at least, um, at least 200 people worldwide. Um, if we're talking about a world ranking, I assume, um, yeah. not a U.S. based one. Uh, I think you, you just need that many people. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to mull David. He, he has me, I, I like the idea of the architects not being able to vote on uh, the living, uh, being able to vote on anything from the last, uh, 30 years, but that would allow them to vote on old stuff. Obviously I would have, uh, no voting on places that people have a financial, uh, tie to, or that they bid on and lost or won. Yeah, you know, just no, not, I don't think you need architects voting on their work. Uh, although they're probably hardest on their own work. <laughs> most of them uh yeah. yeah then 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 they but it worries me when they're voting on stuff on jobs they lost or people other architects they don't like um so there's that and then yeah i would i would break it into uh take your pick platinum gold silver whatever you want to call it and and i would use uh not to be uh, overly uh, tacky here but my my system in um my book of uh you know the three ask three questions can you remember all the holes after you've played it is it a place you'd want to play every day and is it a place you want to take your dog for a walk if you want to give each one a, a number fine and then give it an overall score um this idea of of also this where you play you know golf magazine has these buckets and you place the course so are they are they not rating so if a course is just a really good course but it's not 100 uh top world worthy do they not rank it if it can't fit into these buckets of 10 to 20 and 20 to 30? I, I just find that to be too much work. Of course, and I would never let you talk to any of the panelists. Um, there's just horrible stories about kind of, uh, you know, influential conversations and you need to set aside this spot for that and keep an eye on this. And uh, and then definitely no course uh, that's that's it has to be at least a year old. Uh, I even would ponder two years old. Um but especially knowing, you know, just seeing kind of the grow in of a golf course and the difference after a year and two years is incredible. So that would those would be some of the things that I would I would uh, look for. And obviously, whoever's running the, the ranking can't have um, an email address that's uh, similar to a, the name of a 
the the entity that whose brand uh, he he touted in the article with this with this, the ranking. David, uh, you you listen to Jeff's um, outlining. It sounds like a pretty good ranking system to me. Would you add anything to that? Subtract anything, or do you have I, any? You know, I think the biggest. I, I think all good, Jeff. But you have to have a list of one to a hundred because you're not going to sell any magazines. You're not going to get any clicks. You're not going to get any adverts. So let's not be. You know. <laughs> God, this sounds really patronizing. Let's not let's not be naive here, Jeff. So so let's say you have to have a one to a hundred because because that's just the world that we live in. You know, can you live with that? And and how do you do that? Well, what what if we why does it have to be associated with a magazine? Why don't we talk to Michelin and have Michelin do what they do for restaurants and oh I'm sorry, is Lawrence oh I'm getting I'm getting a very dirty look from him. <laughs> This is a this is a McKellar world top one hundred. Come on. So one last thing I'll throw in though, Jeff, is 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 would you have ordinary punters vote like people who've just gone to play it? Because there's a risk then, isn't there? That that even though you get things that there were there were courses that will come on there. If you were to do a top hundred in the UK, there'd be a bunch of courses that that people who really study these things wouldn't choose. And I'm sure it'd be the same. It's kind of what the Golf Digest one has done. You know, yeah. Club de Campo's higher than North Berwick or somewhere, you know. Right. Well, so there why, has to be yeah. a panel. There has to be a middle ground somewhere. No, I believe me, making up a panel is not easy. Uh, and it's been the, the problem of a lot of these, these things, especially now as they try to expand a larger uh scale operations um so i i uh believe me it's hard work it's not fun um but you know michelin's able to do it when keep these people quiet and and have credibility and i think there are there are ways to do it but yeah as long as you're going to be tied to clicks or sales it's it's just going to have some you're going to have corruption and then you couple it with the state of the media industry and it's only going to get worse it's not going to get better so that's another another issue for all involved and i and i guess i would think you know i mean the thing that bothers me in this case is the two courses that got on there that are barely open that that were seen by just a few people in an outing and uh they were they probably had a decent chance of making it in two years or in four years but yeah now they're kind of tainted by the fact, to, at least to people on the inside, the average golf magazine reader is not going to know. But to people on the uh, in the business, like, well, do these things earn earn their place on the list? And and then of course you you know we've seen how many places have vaulted onto these lists and then they they fall backwards, and and that's that's not fair to those courses. I realize they get the the pop of the original ranking, but. That is, uh, I mean, how many times have we seen that where these places yeah. come out swinging and then they fall back? You know, it's the thing of the moment du jour. And um, and that's the danger in having outings at a place that are organized by the course and the panel uh, instead of having a system where people go and play and rank and and uh, wait till it's open and available and they get on the course. And uh, But then we're also just talking about an elite number of, you know, we have Seven, 16, 17,000 courses in the world. We're talking about something for shaped for a hundred of them and nothing is really addressing kind of the evaluation overall of courses. And that's what I, I kind of like about uh, my little system just in terms of validating places, but also um, the fun list that the, that 
uh, you mm. mentioned earlier that Chris does is just a great list. The fact that that's when I look at rankings, those the the when when we've tried to do fun rankings, those have been way better lists to me. And they they incorporate some nine hole places, or they incorporate some uh, places that would not be recognized by these panels for either commercial reasons or because they're not exclusive. I mean, the, um, you know, all the different things that go into the yeah. stuff. And, and, and I think there is something on your, on your point about courses that, that come in and go out, you know, um, I've done some analysis in the past on that, but, but the cream kind of rises, you know, the top five modern courses, Sand Hills, Tower ET, Friars Head, Pacific Dunes, Bob Boogle Dunes. That's 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 a pretty good top five of courses built in the last thirty years. But but all of those have been there for many years now, um, and they've stayed the course. A lot of people have said them, and not many people walk away from those courses too disappointed. It's kind of when you get to the looking at individual lists and individual years and the lower, a lot of those do go in and out for sure. And, and by the way, Friars Head uh, kept panelists away. Uh, they they really, really did not want uh, panelists and and uh, and and so it it entered the list at a certain point when enough people had seen it as guests of members yeah. and then uh, it's it's vaulted as they've and by yeah. the way they've also tinkered with the course Ken Baxter well, tinkered is probably a kind where he's he's made a lot of improvements um, mm -hmm. a lot uh, and it's evolved and the great courses do evolve and hopefully evolve well and that's where rankings have been both a, a blessing and a curse that they they penalize a place that doesn't evolve very well and they they've rewarded those that have 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 evolved in a in a positive way um but i also yeah i would love to know how the golf magazine list would be shaped if mckenzie niebert were on it would that change uh would, would you yeah, i we could go on and on there, there are just a <laughs> lot of issues with personality and and dollars that that are just disappointing and yeah. uh, there was so. there was there was a thing that tom doke um said on gta a few years ago which was when the last list or the previous one came out and his courses did really well and he, and he posts up this saying well it's not that surprising my courses do really well because because if you look at the makeup of the list a lot of them either work for me or employed me so it's not that surprising is it? Yeah. which which i thought was a nice point um which which was relatively humble of him i thought Hmm. Anyway, we, it strikes me that this whole uh, space, uh, to use a modern word, this whole space is ripe for disruption. Uh, I'm not sure um, I am the guy to do it, but maybe Jeff, uh, you Jeff, and you David could come up with something and and that was credible uh, and was became the new uh, gold standard. We'll see. Uh, David, any other anything else you want to add to this discussion? Are we done? No, I think we're done. As I say, look. It ain't bad. There, there is one idea I've got, um, which I will put out there because I can't, haven't got the, the brains to do it. Wouldn't it be great if you could have a have a list which which was what you wanted? So like the kind of golf courses that that you want. If you want a golf course that doesn't cost more than a hundred dollars or hundred pounds, or if you want one that's quite wide off the tee, or if you want one where you'll always play it under four hours, or you'll always walk, and it comes up with a bespoke list for you. I think anyone who does that, perhaps that's the McKellar list. Then yeah. I think we'll nail it. There's a thing called artificial intelligence. Just get the algorithms uh, cooked up and ready to go, and maybe you'll be able to craft. Of course, so far AI has just been stealing, stealing other stuff. So it'll just steal the golf digest list or something, and, <laughs> and just to make a total we, mess. We of all it. end up at teeth of the dog. I've not been yeah. there yet. Well, <laughs> actually, that would be okay. I, I was thinking of much worse. 
Uh, anyway, uh, uh, Jeff, that's you and I. We'll steal David's idea. We're going to make millions off that. It's going to be awesome, and we'll we'll give him nothing. David, okay. uh, yeah. really good, uh, really good to have you on. Uh, people, uh, anybody's listening. I got ukgolfguide.co.uk or is it dot com? Dot com, Jeff. Uh, dot com, Lawrence. The big time. And support David's uh, charity walk this week uh, for uh, underprivileged kids in Kenya. Really good stuff, David. Great to talk to you. We'll talk to you again soon, pal. Thank you.